listen, God is so good. I'm thankful that you're here. Whether you're joining us in person or as we just prayed for those who are joining in online, very thankful um, for you. Uh, Mom, if you're uh, tuning in today, we're excited that just in a couple of weeks you're gonna be here in person. My mom is moving to Santa Maria, so yay. Her name is Arlen. As my dad used to say, it rhymes with darling. And uh, anyway, so she's going to be here, and uh, I know she's so looking forward to becoming part of uh, this church community. I know you're going to just reach out and embrace her and love on her. And, uh, but we have others beyond my mom that are online today, so greetings to you. And Kelly and I were just reflecting in the past days really with just joy and thankfulness over the generosity of this church family. This is a giving church, and that has been true historically. There are even some funds that are invested that are helping us because of like the legacy of generosity in, through this church family. And we were just looking at numbers. Kelly was crunching some numbers and just recognizing how many people that are part of the Santa Maria Foursquare Church are generous givers. Thank you for that. I mean, that, it, it is, it's only as we, and I'm saying we because Kelly and I are right there with you in this. We are generous givers here. It's because of the shared generosity that we can have a shared mission together. And, uh, and so thank you for that. If you haven't given yet and are wanting to kind of like, I don't know where to even start, go to sm4.org slash giving. We have a giving page. It'll share with you what you need to know and kind of where to even start when it comes to like giving. And we have some online options. If you just want to give something even today, write a check or put some cash in an envelope. We have some giving boxes that you'll find. Um, we have them kind of over at the exits here. We have another one in the courtyard. You're going to find where you can just drop in a gift on your way out today. Um, and, and listen, they're not gifts to Tim Mossholder. They're not even gifts, really, to the Santa Maria Foursquare Church. Although, if you're writing a check, that would be good to put on it. Listen, when we give, we're giving as worship to the Lord. Saying, because of all that you've given me, God, I want to give back. I'm going to contribute. I'm going I'm to sow back into what you are doing in the world. And, uh, and we're so grateful that we get to share in that generosity together. Well, hey, I'm glad that you're with us today because we are beginning a new series today. You're here for the, for the start, for the kickoff. Are you ready for the drum roll of like where we are headed over the next weeks together? You ready? Go ahead and put the slide up. Here's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead. And there's a slide. Yes, dumb things. Everybody say it together. Dumb things smart Christians do. Dumb things the smart Christians do. Well, that's a little edgy, Pastor Tim. Well, how did you come up with that title? Well, actually, I didn't. So let me tell you. So when we were in another series some months ago through the book of Nehemiah, I mentioned during that one of the messages, I said, you know what? There are so many things that we as followers of Jesus will, will do to kind of leave the door wide open for the enemy to come dancing right into our lives, right into our homes, and right into our stories. And I said, man, we could do a whole series just on those kind of things where we just leave the door wide open to the enemy. 
So it was kind of like a little throwaway statement like, hey, we could do a whole series on that. Well, my son, my eldest, who's uh, uh, the head football coach at Hillcrest High School right outside of uh, uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho. He's just moved there to be the head coach there. He was happened to be listening in that day to that message, and he calls me that afternoon. And he says, Dad, you should totally do that series. And what you need to call it is you just need to call it Dumb Things Christians Do. And I just cracked up. I mean, that was hilarious. Dumb things Christians do. Ah, you know, it's, it's true. We do do dumb things, don't we? And so it was funny, you know, and I laughed and, and said, you know, thanks, thanks for your idea. Well, anyway, over the weeks following that, I could not get that out of my head or out of my spirit. It just kind of like, I just kept being reminded, man, there's, there are dumb things that we do. There are dumb things we do as human beings. There are dumb things we do even as followers of Jesus, we, that we just don't always get right. And so it just kept growing, growing in my, my spirit to, to, the, to the point where it's like, we need to do that series. We need to do it. And I've recognized that it seems like, not only do we do dumb things, it almost seems like there are patterns of dumb. Patterns of dumb. Like common things that not only do you struggle with, but I do too. They're like common, like they're, they're just common stuff, you know. Uh, Paul writes, you know, in one of his letters, he says, there's no temptation, you know, that you face that isn't common to everyone. Like there's other people battling with what you're battling. Like there's patterns of things that we can fall into that are like tripping hazards. And that's like what we're, the sort of things that we're going to be talking about in these weeks ahead. I think that these dumb things seem to fit two categories simultaneously. One, it seems like they're part of our human nature, right? They're just part of our kind of DNA because we are human. These are the kinds of things that we have to confront and face. But also, they seem to be used by hell against us. Like they're part of not only are they part of our human nature, but they're part of hell's playbook. You know, like where, where the devil will just say, you know what, I know what is going to trip them up. And so I'm just going to like lead them into this dumb thing. Because what we find out is that when we, when we pursue the path of these kind of dumb things, we trip over them, we end up on our face. Not only do they cause misery, but in some people's stories, these dumb things actually lead to a destruction of their faith. So they're serious. So we're gonna have some fun in this series, but I'm telling you, these are, these are real things that we need to get after. These are real things that we have to contend with. We gotta get smart, because we don't wanna be those people who fall into dumb things. Now please note though, my son said the series title should be Dumb Things Christian Do, and I want you to note that I have added the word smart. Dumb things the smart Christians do. Why? Because I want to really emphasize, we're not calling people dumb. I'm not calling you dumb. I'm not calling myself dumb. But it's a recognition that even the smartest among us can do really dumb things. And I put myself at the top of that list. So I recognize as I'm bringing, bringing this message and the ones to come in the weeks ahead, I'm telling you, we're gonna to be together discovering some, some tripping hazards, 
some dumb things that we can trip over, and we're going to learn together, I believe, to get smarter about these things and, and bring them um, into kind of the redemptive story about how God would help us to grow together as believers. So, what is the very first dumb thing that we're going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about isolation. Isolation. Where we choose to go solo. Or we choose, I would even say, go into hiding. Go into hiding. Now, isolation here, I'm not talking about that, like, alone time that we all need you know, to just kind of refresh our soul and to get away. Even, even God's word, you know, talks about that importance of that Sabbath, you know, kind of principle where we just kind of get away and unplug. I'm not talking about that kind of isolation that would be with purpose and intent for the recharging of our batteries. The kind of isolation I'm talking about is avoidance. It's avoiding other people where we make a choice to kind of step out of community and go into this isolated, you know, type of hiding from others. And I believe that there really is something within our human nature, kind of within human, human's DNA, that when we get into trouble, we tend to hide. We tend to hide. I'll never forget something my sister said when she was about four years old. I'm four years older than her, so I have this very clear memory of of my mom talking to us kids, and she was talking to us about safety, and she turns to my sister and asks this question. What would you do if there was a fire in our house at night? I think she was just trying to figure out, what's going through my kids' brains? I'll never forget that my sister, about four years old, very quickly responded and said, Mom, I'd hide right under my covers. I mean, I was only about eight, but I was terrified by that statement because I immediately recognized like, no, 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 no. If there's a fire in the house, you do not hide under your, because you'll be consumed. But you know what? There's that, that tendency within our human nature to when trouble comes. And when we, 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 we don't know what to do, what we do is we tend to hide. We pull the blankets up over us, hoping that the trouble will go away. But guess what? Hiding doesn't help. Hiding doesn't help. In this tendency to hide, what we find from God's word, well, guess what? It's been around as long as the human story has been around. You probably would think like I would of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve. They were in this beautiful perfection of a garden, but in chapter three of Genesis, we find out that they stepped into sin. They violated the single boundary that God had placed um, um, over them and around them in the garden. Don't eat of that one tree, and guess what they did? They ate of the one tree. And so, so we find that, that they sinned, and it says something that kind of captures this idea of hiding immediately after they sin. We find this in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 3. Right after they sinned, it says, at that moment, 
At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So what did they do? It says, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Suddenly, when trouble came and they felt, what? They felt exposed, right? They recognized we're naked. They did two things immediately. One, they hid from themselves. I mean, like fig leaves? Fig leaves? Seriously? You know, it's like, can you do something better than fig leaves? It's what they had. But they hid from each other. And then, of course, well, they tried to hide from God. And we know how that went. Not so well. We can't hide from God, and yet we try. We hide from each other. We hide from God. Why do we isolate? What, what are some of the things that trigger this? I want to just share briefly on, on I think, few of the big things, the, kind of the big ticket items that cause this triggering of us to go into hiding and to isolate ourselves from others and from community. Number one is fear. Fear. Listen, if you don't see me, you can't hurt me. If you don't see me, you can't hurt me. And that's kind of what's, what's going on in our minds. There's a story found in 1 Kings of a man named Elijah. Elijah was a, a great man of God, prophet, did just amazing works. And in the chapters of 18 and 19, though, we find this amazing contrast because in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, we find that Elijah had just had the most incredible, miraculous, huge breakthrough, kind of like one of the things we turn to over and over again is this story of this great faith and God showing up, doing the miraculous. It's when there was like these 450 priests of this false god named Baal. It was 450 against one, this man of God. And this huge showdown takes place on the top of a mountain and God shows up. God shows up for Elijah. And there's this defeat of these 450 uh, priests of Baal. God rains down not only fire from heaven, but then as the story goes on, he also rains down rain from heaven, ending a multi-year drought that was crippling the land. And it was all because Elijah trusted in God and prayed. It's like, wow, man, this is like, he's at the highest of the highs. Like, man, look what God is doing. It's so incredible. Then you turn the page to 1 Kings chapter 19. And after he just has this amazing defeat of 450 priests of Baal, there is one woman named Jezebel. She wasn't happy about what happened. Queen Jezebel. And Jezebel says, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. And it just terrorized him. I mean, I mean it's like, Elijah, I mean, do you remember what happened yesterday, right? Do you remember what just took place? But you know what he did? He ran. He ran and he hid. 
It says that he ran for days and he hid in a cave. It's like, this is the same kind of thing that we go through. When fear comes, we have this tendency to, to think that if they can't see me, they can't hurt me. Now, we are not always running for our lives. You and me don't daily deal probably with that kind of a fear, that kind of a threat. Sometimes we do. I think people have feared COVID. Would you agree? And that some people, that's impacted so deeply that that fear, it's like, man, if I can just isolate, if I can just get away from other people, somehow that's going to be, you know, my salvation. Well, I, I get that. I understand that. But most of the time, it's not fear of imminent death. Oftentimes, it's things we fear like rejection. If they really knew kind of these things in my life, you know, that I'd be rejected. I wouldn't be accepted. Or sometimes we fear change. Sometimes we fear change. We see things changing around us in our culture. We see things in our society that are changing. And it brings a deep-seated fear. In fact, I know that there's a history of some churches that have even like when they've seen things changing in their neighborhood or changing in culture, it's like they just kind of like lock the doors, you know, like hunker in the bunker. Like we're just like, it's just us, right? We're, we're just going to be in it for us. And, and like, man, because somehow they feel like by isolating, they're going to be able to somehow preserve something that for them was precious, that they're afraid of losing. But you know what? That is not how God has called us to live. We're to trust God, but they said, well, we're not supposed to be of the world. Guess what? We're supposed to be in the world. In fact, how are we ever going to do those things that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter five of being the salt of the world, being the light of the world if we hide the light, right? It's like we, if we isolate because we're afraid, we're never gonna have that opportunity to be the people that God has called us to be. Secondly, not only can fear cause you know, that triggering of wanting to isolate, but I believe shame plays such a huge role in this as well. Because if you don't see me, you won't know I'm broken. If I can just, if I can just hide, you're not gonna be able to see the brokenness of my life that I know is there, but you don't know is there. And so we can tend to hide. It reminded me of another story that we see in scripture found in Luke chapter eight about a woman who reaches out and touches Jesus secretly. Secretly. There's this huge crowd and she reaches through that crowd just believing if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. And guess what? She's healed. But as we read the story, we, we find out why she needed that healing. And it says that for 12 years that she was continually bleeding. I'm sure there was a great amount of pain associated with that 12 years of suffering with this condition, but also culturally, you would probably recognize that she was viewed as unclean. No one could touch her. She was not supposed to touch anyone else. She was 
quote unquote unclean in her society and culture, and she was unwanted. Deep shame. And so we realize, oh, that's why she was secretly trying to do this, trying to even in hiding reach out. Well, she touches Jesus, and immediately power comes from him, and she is instantly healed. But as we keep reading, we find out that even when she's healed, she's like trying to slip out the back, you know? She's still in hiding. She doesn't want anyone to know her brokenness the shame associated with her story. But Jesus calls her out. He does it tenderly. But he, he calls her out from that place of hiding. And it says in Luke 8, 47 and 48, she says, when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him, and you just stop right there and you just recognize she, she had the, the greatest fear realized right in this moment. It wasn't the fear of continuing in her terrible condition. The fear was of being exposed. So Jesus calls her out, and it says that she couldn't stay hidden. She began to tremble, fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain as she tells her story why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. And just, I just love what Jesus says here. He calls her daughter. Daughter. Family. I mean, that's a, that family connection. It's like, when he says daughter, it's like, you're not alone in this. You're not alone. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, in peace, a peace that she hadn't known in 12 years. So daughter, he connects her into the community and into this personal, precious relationship with himself. Daughter, go in peace. Jesus fully restores her from that place of shame is there maybe something that you're dealing with, something that you don't want people to see? There's shame attached. There's a brokenness in your story. Maybe there's an ugly past you just don't want people to know about. I don't want people to know how I grew up. I don't want people to know about what I suffered through. That's behind me. I'm not gonna share any of that. I'm gonna just keep that part hidden. Maybe it's something that's more present. Maybe there's a temptation that it's like just so pressing on your soul. And it's like, it just brings shame. Like, I'm, I don't know why I get drawn to that thing. And it just fills you with shame. And so you just keep hidden, or at least that part of your life. Like, just not allowing it to see the light of day. Maybe it's not just temptation. Maybe it's like full-on abuse, full-on addiction. That's Okay. Part of our human condition, right, as human beings, that as followers of Jesus, even as smart Christians, we're not immune from. So there's fear, there's shame. And I think the third thing that we've got to say will cause us to hide and to move into isolation is just being overwhelmed. Just being overwhelmed. You know, it's like I just can't even fathom being seen by anyone right now. 
I just can't, I just can't be around people. I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know if you felt that way during this past year and a half of a global pandemic with very localized issues. But I know I felt this way at times when I just wanted to like just get in my house, shut the door and say, no one, right, can enter this space. And you know, when you think about it, it's like the walls of our homes actually did out of necessity kind of isolate us and insulate us from an invisible threat, you know, of COVID-19. But, but what I'm talking about goes beyond that and it's where the walls of our home kind of became an insulation from life and from community and from other people. And how just when we're overwhelmed, we just can want to retreat. We can want to hide. We can just crawl under that blanket and just say, no more. I just, I just, I just can't be seen at all. We often hear of the twin terms of anxiety that tend to be about being anxious about the future. Anxiety is always about future-related things, anxious about what's coming, the unknown. But then the twin is depression, and that's things that are behind me. That's, those are things that, that like the, the sorrow, the deep sorrow of the loss we've experienced. Anxiety and depression. Those things have been very real, causing us to sometimes become overwhelmed. And if we're overwhelmed, sometimes what we want to do is just pull the blankets up over our head and just say, I just can't deal with people. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't hang today. You ever been there? So fear, shame, rejection, those are some of the things that I think trigger, trigger. There could be others. You may have your own things that trigger you wanting to hide and go into isolation. But listen, while we're, while we're calling this series dumb things, the smart Christians do, we recognize that the things that we're talking about here, fear and shame and just being overwhelmed, anxiety, depression, those things aren't dumb at all. Those things are painful. They're real. They're things that like we have to contend with just because we're human. And because hell wants to like fan those things into flame and just bring misery into our lives. I mean, these are real things. They're not dumb. I think the only thing we could say is dumb would be staying in isolation. Listen, there's all times when we like, whoop, I'm pulling the covers over my head today. Like in this moment, I just need some alone time right? But what becomes dumb? When we stay there. And we become trapped under the covers. And we remain isolated and out of community with others. Because living, living in isolation is living in defeat. And Jesus died and rose again that we would not live in defeat. Not from fear, not from shame, not from anxiety or depression or anything that would overwhelm us. He died and he rose again that we would be free, that we could live fully. I have come that you would have life and have it to the full, Jesus says in John 10, 10. He came that we would not live in defeat and part of that defeat is to living an isolated life. 
So if living in isolation is dumb, how can we get smart about this? I want us to talk about three things that I just want to just pour into us. And when I say us, again, I'm talking to myself here as well. Right, Pastor Kelly? Yes, okay. I'm talking to myself here, preaching to myself. Three things I need to be reminded of. And I think that you do as well. Number one, bring your pain to God. Bring your pain to God. That whole idea about that fire's coming and like that little girl, we just want to like hide under the blanket. Why do we immediately know that that's like terrifying, just the absolute wrong thing to do? Because when you're in desperation, you need to cry out. The best thing that you can do if there's a fire and your house is like, help, help now. I need help, right? Right? Not hide, but cry out for help. Bringing your pain to God is simply crying out for help. In Psalm chapter 32, beautiful Psalm, read the whole thing. But in this Psalm 32, David is like reliving for us some of his pain and brokenness because of sin because of shame, and he was just caught up in it. In fact, in verse three, it says, when I kept silent, just listen to these words, because it's like that, that hidden brokenness, right? It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. My bones wasted away. I mean, just that inner pain and torment. But then he begins to just rejoice because of the freedom that he found when he confessed this to the Lord. The freedom that he found in confession was just remarkable. And so he's rejoicing over the freedom that he has found. And then he gets to verse seven. And I want you to put this up because this is so beautiful. He says to God, you are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I mean, I mean, this is amazing because we recognize here, listen, we all need a hiding place. But the answer is not to isolate from community, to remove ourselves, to like, if I just go solo, nobody's gonna be able to see me, my pain, my shame, all those kind of things. No, God knows we need a hiding place. So he said, if you come to me, I'll be your hiding place. All of that brokenness, all of that trouble, all that torment that is experienced as part of life, bring it to me. Let me show you what I can do. Because I will be your protection. I will be your refuge. I will be that secure place where you can run and even hide that you need. Now we all need that. God, you can be trusted with my pain. All of those things that cause me to want to pull back and not expose God, I can expose my heart and my story to you and you will never violate me 
you will never shame me. You are my refuge. I can trust in you. Amen. The second thing I believe that all of us can do instead of going to isolation is, right, we bring our pain to God, but we can connect with one trusted person. It's like start with one. Now, hopefully it will grow from there, but start with one. Don't feel that like, man, I've got to like somehow join Pastor Tim on the stage and I've got to like, you know, unzip and expose all my stuff and my fear and my shame and being overwhelmed. No, just start, start with one. Start with one person that you can trust. I believe that there is power in finding a counselor. Maybe that one that you would start with, maybe a counselor, maybe a therapist, because there is power in that. There's power in learning to just trust that one individual. I'm, man, I'm so grateful that we have some just really high-level, beautiful people in our church family that offer Christian counseling, people that are trusted, people that have heard everything. They ain't gonna be shocked by your story. You know, it's like because that's what they've been called to do, to offer ministry and that safety, kind of becoming that hiding place where your story is safe. So grateful for people like that. Man, I, I have not only benefited from counseling, sharing my story, sharing my pain, but you know what? I'll just promise you this. I'm gonna benefit from more of it. Because there are just times when I need to find that one person that I can just bear my soul to and say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I would prefer to hide. But I'm going to find someone. But you know what? Beyond just a counselor, because there's power in counseling, but you know what? There's also power in presence. And sometimes we just need someone. No words even need to be spoken, that we can just be with. Maybe it's a spouse. You know, maybe it's a, a good friend. That rather than hiding, we just reach out and say, you know what, I just, I just need to be with someone today. You know, and whatever your jam is, you know, it's like, can we just go golfing? Can we just go to the beach? Can we just take a walk? Can we go to Starbucks? Can, you know, can we just like hang out on the phone? I just need to be with someone today rather than keeping buried under the covers, I can connect with someone. There's power in counseling. There's <laughs> power in just the presence of being around others. I believe that God has designed us to live in community. In fact, man, Psalm 68.6 reveals something beautiful about the ways of of God. Look at what it says in Psalm 68, 6. Go ahead and put it up. It says, God sets the lonely in families. Isn't that amazing? It's just like part of the ways of God is that he sets those who are alone into families. So here's what you can know. If you're ever feeling like, man, I am running away from community, I am running into hiding and into isolation, you know what you can know? That ain't from God. That's not part of his 
nature. That God himself was the originator of family. And he was the originator of a church family. As we would come together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ together to do life, to do community together. Now there's, we're not gonna go there today, but man, when you read passages like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and where it describes the church family as a body, like with you, you and I are like the living members that we need each other because maybe you're the hands, maybe you're the eyes, somebody's the mouth, right? I don't know, maybe me. But, but it's like we need each other. And there's this sense that we gather that like, man, I need other people so that I can function fully. Why, why would one member of the body separate itself from the others? Doesn't even make sense, right? This hand, right? Adam's family, you know, running off on its own. No, we're called to be together, but it's not only because I need you. Guess what? There's something about me that you need. And we can all say that. I'm not saying that as the pastor. I'm saying, no, you, you need to recognize that not only do you need others in community, they need you. And then unique gifts and attributes that you bring are so, so needed. God sets the lonely into, fam into families. So, if confessing to God, maybe like throwing off the blankets, right? Just kind of, I'm gonna expose myself to God for it. I'm gonna bring my pain to him. And then of like connecting with one other person is like swinging our feet to the floor ugh, and standing to face the day then how might we begin to take steps and move forward out of isolation and into community? And I want to give you just one other thing. Dare to serve. Dare to serve. Dare to serve someone other than yourself. Man, the Bible is filled with examples, and we've talked about them recently, about that God created us to do good. Like we're called, we're made for it. We're saved for it to do good. And when we begin, even in those places where we'd rather hide, but we bring our pain to God, we connect with this one other trusted person. And then we take that step saying, you know what? I'm gonna break out of this bubble that I've been in. And I am gonna serve someone else. I'm gonna serve someone other than just me. There is power there. In James chapter one, verse 27, he, he writes this and he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. I, I think that's pretty important. That's, a little, that's an important little statement he throws in there, this little you know, preamble to what I'm gonna say is like, here is how we can live in a way that God will accept and not reject. Okay, all right, James, what are you gonna tell us? He says this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
Man, the first thing that he says there, chapter one of James, that this is what God accepts, the way that we'll live. Isn't it amazing that he talks about serving orphans and widows? When you think about orphans and widows, these are people who by no fault of their own have found themselves isolated, cut off from family connectivity, cut off from those normal ways that we would just do life together. He said, when you think about what God would want to, you know, would, would accept in the way we live is to look after those who have been isolated. In other words, get out of your bubble and find someone else who needs to be brought back into community. And he says, look after them. To me, there, there's that sense of, we've got to like actually be with them. Like not just picking up the phone, hey, you know, not just sending a text message, not just a check-in on Facebook. Look after them. Like go and serve them. Go and serve. And if you're like, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I think I might be up for doing some of that, but I don't even know where to start. Where am I going to start serving? So listen, if you want help, right? Just like, how would I take that first step of serving? Come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of our other staff members. Come and talk to Pastor Kalen about Safari Kids Children's Ministry, right? Because you know what? Part of being a church family, here's the beauty. When you step into a ministry team, you know what you're doing? Not only is there, it's like this one-two reward that you get because not only are you serving someone else. Typically, someone who can't serve you back, right? Like a child, an orphan, a widow. When you step, not only are you doing that, but guess what you're doing? You become part of this team, part of this team of individuals who are like, man, so talk about moving out of isolation and into community. Not only am I serving someone else who needs it, but now I'm like part of this team we're on mission together. And man, that feels really good. Man, I was, I was just on Friday night and man, we had such a great time. Uh, we did our Safari Kids uh, party. We had tons of families, dozens of families that were there just celebrating that on, in just two Sundays, on August 15th, we're gonna be relaunching our children's ministry expression on Sunday mornings. Whoop, whoop. It's gonna be great. But after that, after our Friday night Safari Kids party, family party, there was an all-night lock-in for our junior hires and senior hires. And from all reports, they had a blast. They had a lot of fun. But what I wanted to point out was something that Roxanne said to me, because they have a daughter who's not quite in junior high yet. Um, she's going into sixth grade. And so Roxanne was like, she was bummed that they weren't able to stay from the Safari Kids family party to an all-night lock-in with junior hires and senior hires. She was bummed. She wasn't bummed that she was missing out on sleep. You know what she was missing out on? She goes, man, it's my friends that are over there that are hanging out tonight with those students. Because there's power in serving together. There's power in being part of a team that's bigger than just me. 
So if you don't know where to start, right, join Roxanne. Uh, join others who are serving kids, who are serving junior hires, senior hires, who are part of something that are bigger than themselves. Bring our pain to God. Find someone else to connect with and dare, dare to step out of our bubble and begin to serve other people. Let's pray. As we just turn our hearts to to prayer as we close, I'm reminded of that woman who, who knew that her hope was in Jesus, but she was so filled with just her own story and shame and pain that she did it in hiding, but she knew who to reach out to. And when she reached out to Jesus, and she found immediate healing, immediate healing. And there may be someone here today that because just of your background, I, I, don't, I wouldn't know all of your story, but because of your, your background, your story, your unique brokenness, at least you feel it's unique, right? You, you feel like you're the only one who's ever experienced these things and it just kind of fills you with shame. I don't want anyone else to know. Because of that, maybe you've been hesitant to reach out to Jesus. But today he's reaching out to you. And there's something that even in the the telling of the word today, in the last moments, that somehow you felt God all of a sudden becoming more real and more tangible and more accessible to you. And right now I would invite you to just like that woman did a couple thousand years ago, just reach out to him, grab a hold. Because he will never humiliate you. He will never bring shame to your life. He loves you more than you can imagine. In fact, he he loved you so much that he went to the cross. That in his perfection, he died, shed his blood, that for all time, that our imperfection would be healed, that our brokenness could be mended. So would you reach out to him today? Would you just say, Jesus, I need you. I'm done trying to save myself. I need a savior. Jesus, it's you. And if that, if that is, if you'd like to reach out to him today, with everybody else, their, their eyes are closed. They're not paying attention. Would you just like open your eyes? Would you look up at me? Would you wave at me and say, today, I'm just calling out to Jesus. If that's you in the courtyard, wave big so I can see you. Is anybody in here? Yeah, today. Jesus knows and he accepts you. Amen. Yes. Is there anybody else that says, I need Jesus today? Yeah, bro, I agree with you. Today, he reaches out takes hold of you even as you take hold of him. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word. And now, Lord, in all of us, would you stir up a new courage, a new courage to stop hiding? Because we know even at church, we can hide. Even at church, we can just come in, sit down, face forward, and then walk right back out of the door no more in community than when we were when we walked in. 
God, would you give us the courage to begin to reach out, to find that one, to find that person that we can connect with, even, Lord, as we connect with you. Jesus, I pray that our church would be a church of healthy community where people want, long to, to be together, to live life not in isolation from each other, but in community with each other as we pursue you on mission together. Jesus, may that be who we are. So Lord, whoever you need to convict today about this, including myself, Lord, would you bring that conviction coupled with courage to begin stepping in new directions? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna invite our ministry team to come forward. You know, one of the things that we do at the end of every Sunday morning is we just have a ministry team of trusted individuals who who will pray for whatever it is that's going on in your story, right? Man, if you were someone who said, man, I just gave my life to Jesus, would you not leave this room until you share that with someone? Come up and at the end of service and say, man, this is what I'm doing with my life. But if you have some place of brokenness or shame or something going on in your story that you just need to let someone else know about, these are safe and trusted people to agree with in prayer. So don't leave today before you would connect with somebody in the name of Jesus. Man, have a great week. No isolating because it's dumb to live there. How about that? See you next Sunday. Your love, church.